0: Hey, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them to First John. We're going to be reading throughout First John. We're going to start in chapter 2. There is a Bible app event for this. First John chapter 2. If you didn't uh, think to bring your own Bible, you could take one from a rack in a chair near you, and you will find us on page 1207. Page 1207, John chapter 2, is where we'll be reading in a few minutes. And we're going to spend a lot of time in First John overall. So I used to do a whole lot of fishing. I did most of my fishing in North Georgia. I lived there in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains, and when Laurel was waitressing in the evening, I was fishing. And uh, I loved doing that. Think of the places that I was fishing in the Smoky Mountains, the headwaters of the Chattahoochee. I literally can take you to a place on 197, just north of Clarksville, Georgia, where the trout remind you of a carp up at Pima where the ducks walk on their back. I mean, the longest trout in the wild you'd ever see. And you think, wow, can you fish those? Well, you could, but there is a sign that says, attention poachers, please display the name and phone number of your next of kin boldly on your back. So I don't think you wanna fish there, but uh, I fished around there a lot. I fished in Lake Hartwell, I fished in Lake uh, Russell, Unicoi Lake, Lake Tugalo, Lake Rabin. Loved fishing up there. Here's the funny thing about my fishing when I was down there in the mountains of North Georgia is that I really didn't know one fish from another. Now naturally, I knew a largemouth bass from a trout, right? And I grew up on a farm, so I knew the sunfish and the bluegill that were in the pond, and I definitely knew what a catfish was. But I really didn't know a redfin pickerel from a chain pickerel, and I didn't know a golden red horse from a silver red horse or a grayfin red horse. That was just beyond anything I'd known. And while such questions as that might have been very trivial growing up on the farm, fishing in our pond there, I understood that the fish warden in Georgia, well, I'd heard that he really wanted you to know what you were catching because you weren't allowed to take everything out of those. And so the question was, what's in season and what in the world did I just catch? <laughs> those were questions you need to have answer to, important questions. If you're gonna be fishing, you need to know what's legal. You need to know what is not legal. You need to be discerning. And I would say to you, if you're going to be a Christian, you need to be discerning as well. You need to know what is of God and what is not of God. You need to know what is real and what is false. We've been talking over the past several weeks about counterfeits. And we've addressed counterfeit wisdom and counterfeit meaning. We talked about counterfeit morality and intimacy and security. We talked about counterfeit knowledge. And last week, we contracted genuine authority with counterfeit authority. We contrasted those two things. Today, I'm going to talk to you about counterfeit anointing. And as I told you earlier, our Thursday night men's group has been studying 1 John. And one of them said to me, hey, Pastor Steve, there's another counterfeit. Are you going to hit this one? And I looked at it and I thought, yeah, that's a counterfeit that really needs to be addressed. And uh, so we'll be looking at the way John in 1 John helped those in his care recognize counterfeit anointing. I want to talk to you, though, about the concept of anointing in general to kind of get us thinking along these lines, um, I think really the reality of counterfeit anointing is why First John was written because not every anointing is genuine. There were counterfeits in John's day and there are counterfeits in our day. And unless we're really kind of tuned into, is that a counterfeit, is it real? We could be kind of like me standing in the waters of North Georgia thinking, I don't know if this is a pickerel or what it is, but I better throw it back because I don't want to get in trouble. Except it isn't about fish that we'd be mixed up. It's about spiritual matters. And it's important to understand what anointing really is. Anointing in its simplest term means that this person or this thing has been chosen by God. When I say this thing, yeah, things in the Bible were anointed. They would anoint portions of the temple and the tabernacle. They would put oil on the altar, anointing it with oil. And on the lampstands and on the hardware that was there, all the worship stuff was anointed with oil. Why? Why? because these are things that were chosen by God and going to be used by God. And so they anointed them. And they anointed people. Think of the kings of Israel that were anointed. The very first king of Israel was King Saul. Saul was anointed by Samuel. And and that anointing is spoken of in one verse. It's 1 Samuel chapter 10. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to it as I read it. Verse one says, then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? And so even though it was the prophet Samuel who was pouring the oil, did you notice who's doing the anointing? It was God. God was the one who was anointing Saul as king over Israel. You know, I happen to be on the ordination council of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And honestly, the the purpose of that council is to discern, is this person anointed for ministry? Is it a genuine anointing? And so we say that we ordain you for ministry, but all of us guys at that table know, all of us know that God is the one who does the ordaining. And we are just the ones who acknowledge what God is doing. And anything that has God's choosing an anointing on it, that is a genuine anointing. Anything that's pretending, that's a counterfeit anointing where things kind of get interesting in the book of 1 John and in terms of anointing. Anointed is really a distinguishing mark of the Messiah. Now you're going to have to put your thinking caps on for just a minute and follow me here. The word Messiah in our English language is borrowed from a Hebrew word that sounds similar to that. When we say Jesus Messiah, we're we're borrowing from a Hebrew word. The the name Christ or the word Christ is taken from the Greek equivalent of that Hebrew word. It's taken from Christos. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're kind of saying the very same, we are saying the very same word. That word Messiah actually means anointed one. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus, the one with the anointing, the anointed one. The term Christ actually means anointed one. Now, if Christ means anointed, then Antichrist, which is going to be spoken of in the text we're going to read here, Antichrist doesn't simply mean against Christ. It does, but technically it also means false Christ with a false anointing. It means counterfeit Christ, counterfeit anointing. The Antichrist is one who has a false anointing, a counterfeit. Now, in the end times, when the Antichrist shows up, he will fool a lot of people. They will see him as the answer. This is the guy who's finally going to bring peace. This is a gift from God. This man, they will say, has an anointing from God. But the scripture tells us it is an anti-anointing. It is a false anointing. It will be a counterfeit anointing. And it's not just the antichrists of the false times that is labeled this way. Throughout history, there have been people who have had counterfeit anointings. And they are antichrists in kind of the small sense. The world is full of counterfeit anointings today. False teachers, false prophets, falsely anointed ministries, false Christs, counterfeits. It appears that John, when he wrote 1 John, was kind of watching out for the people in his care because he didn't want them to be fooled by antichrists. Let's say it this way. He didn't want to be fooled by people who had a counterfeit anointing. And so he speaks to them directly about this sort of thing. Now, your Bible is open to 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to look just at verses 18 and 19 to start, but we're going to be in every chapter of John before we're done. Listen to John two, First 1 John 2, verse 18. He says, Dear children, this is the last hour. Pause for a minute. When the Bible says this is the last hour or the last days, it means the next big event is going to be the return of Christ, the end. It's not saying, it's not that John was misguided and he thought, well, I thought Jesus was coming back, but it's been 2,000 years. That's not it at all. He's just saying the next thing is the return of Christ and the entry of the kingdom. So let's start again, verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but they're going. Shows that none of them belong to us. Okay, so what what evidently has happened here is in the fellowship of Christians that John is writing to, there were individuals who evidently they thought these people had an anointing, But, but they left, and they didn't leave quietly. They left and and they're doing some false teaching. We thought they were part of us, but evidently, because they're out there doing false teaching, we can pretty well conclude that was a counterfeit anointing. It wasn't the real thing. And John believes that it's important for his people to know the difference between the real thing, genuine anointing, and counterfeit anointing. Now, I, I want to talk to you then about the characteristics of genuine anointing and these come from the book of first john these traits this list is not comprehensive it just happens to be what what i see in in first john and probably i even miss some that john speaks of these are uh, are ways to know if an anointing is genuine and the first thing i would say to you is that genuine anointing teaches the reality of your faith right at the very beginning go to first john chapter 1 And watch what Jesus says here. Nope, it's not Jesus. Watch what John says here about the reality of Jesus and the reality of Christian faith. That which was from the beginning. Okay, pause. (laughs) So he's talking about Jesus, and he says he's been around since the beginning. In the beginning was the word, is what John wrote in the Gospel of John. So that which was from the beginning, he says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it, and we testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Do you get the point? He's saying this is something from the beginning. And this is something I saw with my own eyes. And this is something we heard with our own ears. This is something, this is someone, this Jesus, we even touched him. Our faith is real faith based on real events. So years ago, I was a campus pastor at a branch campus of the University of Pittsburgh. And as I I was there in our gatherings with the students, freshmen always had some of the same questions. Their questions were things like this Was creation literally in seven days? What about the evolution thing? And did Satan really speak out of the mouth of a serpent? And how could there be a global flood? There's not enough water for that. They had those kinds of questions. And you know what's happening there. A lot of these kids are Christian kids and finally they're out from home. They're away from their church. They're in a place where they can finally ask those questions and nobody puts their hand on their hips and say, what are you asking at? I loved that. I loved being able to talk to them about that sort of thing at that time. Those questions came up year after year. One year when those questions came up, a professor was sitting there because often faculty, staff, administration would come and sit in on those meetings. They were Christians. They liked the Christian fellowship. They were there just to encourage the students and connect with them. One professor, that was, those questions were coming up, and one professor who happened to be a calculus professor said, well, I believe it's not really important that anything in the Bible ever really happened. He said, it's just the ideas that the stories are trying to communicate. That's what's important. Not that anything here really ever happened. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When he said that, I thought, well, I wish that was true. And here's why. Because in my primitive, small thinking, I thought that would make these questions a lot easier to answer. Wouldn't it? Yeah. All you have to do is get the lesson. Don't worry about whether any of this really happened. But that answer that he gave did not come from a genuine anointing. If you apply the answer, that I don't think the things in the Bible ever really happened. It's just the ideas that are important to other places in the Bible, you're going to be in bad trouble. You can't say, you know, it's not important that Jesus is the Son of God, born of a virgin. It's just a nice idea. You can't say, it's not important that Jesus really died for our sins so we can be forgiven. It's just a good thought. Because the Bible itself says that if he didn't do that, we're in trouble. You can't say it's not important that Jesus returned from the grave, proving that we too have eternal life. It's just a nice idea to think about. The Bible says if that's the case, we are to be pitied above all others for believing it. You see, if we turn the story of Jesus into a myth, we should all just pack it up and go home. I believe John said those things because he wants us to know these are not just stories. I mean, the first verse of the Gospel of John, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked at, which our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. And any teaching that says otherwise is false teaching. It is not from God. It is not anointed. It is counterfeit. Here's another characteristic. Genuine anointing expects and provides real righteousness. You know, there's a feeling in much of our society that guilt is a bad thing. As soon as someone expresses guilt, we want to placate it. I don't watch daytime TV because it will rot your brain. Just saying, okay? But occasionally I'm trapped in a hospital waiting room, you know, and there's daytime TV on. I should bring those things to put over my ear that I use when I'm shooting just for hospital waiting room visits so I can't hear that, right? And it's going on there and someone's talking about something they feel bad about and immediately the rest of the people in the daytime TV cult, did I just say that? (laughs) Immediately they're like, oh, don't feel bad. You shouldn't feel bad about that. Don't feel guilty because, and here's the sentence, our biggest problem is that we feel guilty. And if we didn't feel guilty, we'd feel better about ourselves and the world would be a happy place. That is counterfeit anointing right there. Counterfeit anointing. But we kind of tend to do it ourselves sometimes. When someone maybe is expressing their guilt, we try to placate it. We try to make them feel not guilty to deny it. Well, you're not to blame. I think you're just a victim. It's not your fault. It's just your upbringing that that kind of let you down. You're not guilty. What you're doing isn't even wrong. Everybody does that. Why are you you beating yourself out? Now, listen. (laughs) When we are guilty and we do that, that is a counterfeit for them false guilt is a bad thing and if you're feeling false guilt we need to talk to you that way about it but genuine guilt is valuable because when you genuinely genuinely recognize your guilt that is when you can begin to move toward repentance do you understand that and if we take that away and replace you replace it with a false sense of righteousness wow genuine anointing teaches real righteousness counterfeit anointing, cheap grace, legalism, denial, lawlessness. Look at verse 6 in First John chapter 1. And look what John says here. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Genuine anointing teaches us to own our sin. It teaches us to confess our sin and thereby release our guilt and to live beyond our sin. Genuine anointing expects and provides real righteousness. And genuine anointing offers genuine hope and life, even confidence. Hope, not despair. Life, not death. Anointed teaching. Anointed teaching is never marked by condemnation. Let me say that sentence again. Anointed teaching is never marked by condemnation. (laughs) because there is no hope in condemnation. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever trusts in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know what verse 17 says? I like it just as much. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Genuine anointing is not about condemnation. It is filled with hope. When John is writing the gospel back in chapter 1 of that book, in verse 14, he says, The word, that is Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among him. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. And here's the phrase, filled with grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth are never condemning. They're corrective. (laughs) They help you adjust your course when you're off course but they're helpful and even encouraging. Grace and truth bring hope. And John speaks about this to his people that he's writing to in 1 John. Because in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, John says, my dear children, I write this so you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Let me just paraphrase that part. But if anyone does sin, we have somebody that's on our side. An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, if your heart is pointed toward God, anointed teaching contains the hope of life. Number four, anointed teaching communicates love for others and love to others. Let's stay in chapter two and begin to read right at verse nine here. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness and they don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Have you seen people who claim to be Christian and even ministries that claim to have an anointing that are still marked by hate. If you watch the news from time to time, you see this group founded by Fred Phelps. It's mostly him and his family. And they hold up these signs about what God hates and who God hates. And they'll go to funerals, funerals of veterans, things like that. They call themselves a church. I can't even call them a church. They're a hate group from from Westboro, Texas. And they hate. That, my friends, is a false anointing. Sometimes false anointing is a little less obvious than that, though. Sometimes it shows up in judgmentalism and and condemnation and, and apathy. I don't even care about them. Let them go. Let them go right to Hades. That's not a genuine anointing. Genuine anointing loves. Genuine anointing cares about people. Genuine anointing has courage to confront without hating. Genuine anointing speaks the truth in love because genuine anointing communicates love for others and love to others. And genuinely anointed ministry stands distinct from the world. Now, listen, I I chose that word distinct intentionally. I picked that word specifically. It's carefully chosen. I'm not using the more common word separate. The more common phrase is Genuine anointing stands separate from the world. But I don't like that word because although it is a biblical word, it is a word that has suffered great abuse. And we're separatists. We don't connect with them. We're separatists. We don't do that sort of thing. Anointed ministry does not avoid interaction with the world in which we live. Jesus engaged people where they were and got a lot of criticism for it. When he did that, when he was eating in the house of a tax collector or being anointed by a sinful woman, engaging with those people, when he did that, Jesus was modeling ministry for a dozen close followers who we think of as the apostles, the disciples. And in modeling that, he was saying this is the way you should be, that you should engage with them. But Jesus was always distinct from them. He didn't participate in the uncleanness around him. And John speaks of that. John says in chapter 2 of 1 John, starting at verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. You notice the list there is very explicit. It doesn't talk about your clothing. doesn't talk about what kind of car you drive. It doesn't talk about your political alliances. It says, worldliness, worldliness is clearly delineated as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And genuine anointing stands distinct from those things. One more. Genuine anointing focus, com, focuses confidence in Christ and on Christ. Salvation. It's a matter of trusting Christ. Salvation is not a matter of going to church. It's not a matter of of cleaning up your language. It's not a matter of doing this and not doing that. Salvation is a matter of Jesus Christ and what he did on your behalf. So when you turn from your darkness to the light of Christ, and when you trust that Christ's death counted for you personally, trusting him to deliver you from God's wrath, you have eternal life. (laughs) Several years ago, a gentleman named, decades ago, a gentleman named D. James Kennedy put together a little bit of a kind of um, diagnostic questions to self diagnostic yourself. Diagnose yourself. Am I a Christian? Do I have the genuine faith that I'd like to have? He had two questions. It's kind of like taking your car in and having them put it on a diagnostic thing and they say, that'll be $500, I think, as a spark plug, you know? This is free. It's two questions, self diagnosing. Ready? Question number one. When you die, if you were to die now, would you go to heaven? And if your answer for that is no, well, then you know you're probably not trusting Jesus. If your answer for that is yes, or yeah, I think I am, then you need to move to the second question. And the second question is this Were you to die and stand before God, and He would say, Why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? Well, I think. I think my answer would probably be I have sat through so many boring sermons you've got to let me into heaven. I've earned it, right? I think my answer would be I've never really done anything bad. I mean, have you watched the news? I'm not that guy. I think my answer is I've done a lot of good things. I became a pastor and pastored a miserable group of people in Kermansville, Pennsylvania for twenty some years. Maybe it's a little more plain than that. Well, I try really hard. Well, I know I mess up, but I, I really work at it. I give it my all. All those answers are wrong. All those answers are wrong because they are focusing your confidence on yourself. Your confidence should be in Christ, in Christ alone. I can imagine if I were to say that to God, um, you know, I was a pastor, I lived for you, I raised a couple good kids, and I feel like uh, I earned it. Then, then a, a legitimate response might be, well, why did I bother to send Jesus to die for you, Steve? I guess you didn't need him right? (laughs) I desperately needed him. And I need him every hour. The answer to that question, why should I let you into my heaven, is because Jesus paid for my sin. Jesus paid it all. And I need no other argument. I have no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. And when you say that, you know what he'll say. Yeah, that was the plan. Enter in to your master's happiness. Hmm. Genuinely anointed teaching focuses your confidence on Jesus Christ. You see it in the passage. Look at 1 John chapter 5, turn the page, go toward the end of the book. And in verse 11, it says, and this is a testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has the life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Now listen to what he says here. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Don't let someone confuse you with some crafty theology or some good turn of a phrase or some kind of... uh, Just don't let it happen. Focus your attention on Christ crucified for you. And then you'll walk in the light. And genuine anointing teaches that all the time. The big test for genuine anointing always involves a person of Christ. And false anointing always gets this wrong. They can't consistently and joyfully proclaim the person of Jesus Christ crucified for your sins. Jesus is God in the flesh. That is his identity. Uh, This is really important. So I put the letters on the screen If you're having trouble seeing them, you're sitting too far back. You like that? This is just really important though. hear this. (laughs) John is writing to people and he's concerned that they might be falling for some false anointing, some anti-Christ teaching. And so he says to them in chapter four, verse one, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Okay, people use that test when they're doing deliverance ministry. Someone maybe is plagued by a demon. We say to the demon, do you acknowledge Jesus has come into flesh? Demon says, no. Yeah, we know, right? That's a good test. I use that test. That's a good test. It's a good application of this text. But the specific idea that John has in mind in this test is fitting with the theme of his book. He's concerned about anointing. Genuine anointing versus inauthentic anointing. Additionally, just because someone can say Jesus is coming to flesh does not mean their anointing comes from God. I mean, in our text last week, and it was was one of the Thursday night guys pointed this out. In our text last week, when we were reading about the demon that Jesus encountered in a synagogue in Luke 4, That demon says to Jesus, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So just because someone acknowledges who Jesus is doesn't mean the the anointing is genuine. What John is telling us here, that is if an anointing is genuine, the message of the one with the anointing Proclaims the incarnation of Christ as a redemption of humankind consistently and joyfully. That's it. Consistent, joyful. The test for genuine anointing always involves the person of Christ. Jesus has come in the flesh. And genuine anointing consistently and joyfully proclaims that Jesus has come to pay for our sins go back to chapter 2 of 1st John and you see there he says of Jesus he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world eternal life is available to us because of the sacrifice of Jesus genuine anointing proclaims and celebrates this consistently in fact i would say if you come upon a minister or a ministry that does not make the death and resurrection of Christ on your behalf for your sins, then you might want to question whether that has a genuine anointing. Number three, genuine anointing consistently and joyfully proclaims, celebrates that trusting in Christ gives us life. And this is a testimony. <laughs> God has given us eternal life and his life is in his son. Whoever has a son has a life. Whoever does not have a son of God does not have a life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. When you see that being proclaimed consistently and joyfully, you're probably looking at some genuine anointing. So this past uh, Thursday evening, we're sitting together at the table at the Clark residence, eating pizza made by K. Rolls, K-Rolls pizza has a wee little bit of dough on it and a whole bunch of topping on it, which I love. Because anytime Laurel says, hey, you want to split this pizza? I'll say, yeah, you eat the bottom half. I'm eating the top half. She doesn't go for that, right? So we're eating K-Rolls pizza. We're eating this bacon wrapped delight that Michelle has made. And we're just sitting there reading the Bible and talking together like guys want to do. And, and, uh, I made this point. I said, I said, you know, when it comes to discerning genuine anointing from false anointing, I think um, it's probably easier for us than it was for the people of John's day. And, and the guy next to me, he crushed me. He said, I disagree with you. I'm like, what? No, I didn't do that at all. He said, I disagree with you. And I said, how about it? What are you thinking? And he said this. He said, in John's day, he was not exposed to the plethora of false teaching that people today are exposed to. And so it's probably even more important that you and I know how to discern genuine anointing from false anointing. Even more important because of the world we live in. I said, I think you're right. The point I was going to make was, I feel like it's easier for us because you know what we have? We have the Bible. And the Bible helps us to discern genuine anointing from false anointing. It's a real blessing to us. I want to say this to you, just as an appendage. You know what an appendage is? It's something that sticks out where it shouldn't. That's what this is, right? Just as an appendage. Um, I feel like sometimes the lies can come directly from the enemy to make your Christian faith something that is not. I saw that in my own childhood, growing up Christian and Missionary Alliance, how the lies of legalism, not even from my pastor, but from well-meaning people who wanted me to walk straight to save me a multitude of griefs, came into my heart and made Christian faith not so much about Jesus' death on a cross, but about whether I was walking straight or not. I see several of you nodding. Good people can kind of have that spirit of Antichrist speak those lies to you. You can even speak them to yourself. I would encourage you, when you do, run to Jesus and boil it down. Get rid of all the extras and just say, and this is a testimony that God has given us eternal life and his life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who doesn't have the Son of God does not have the life. John wrote these things to me, so that I may know that I have eternal life. And then walk, walk in the genuine anointing that comes from that message, and that that message comes from. I want to pray that you can do that. Let's stand together. It's so easy, Father, to get sidetracked sometimes, and to think that our Christian faith is about something that it isn't. It's so easy to put out a lot of measurements that are really separate from you, Jesus, and When we do that, then we're falling for some false teaching. We want you to be the center. We want you to teach us to identify counterfeit anointing when it's on the internet, when it's coming from the radio, when it's streaming from daytime television, when it's coming from a group of friends we happen to be with, when it's coming from our own minds, or when it's coming from the enemy of our soul. Help us to identify counterfeit anointing and may we turn away from it, even rebuke it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we accept genuine anointing, anointing that always focuses on Jesus, celebrating and proclaiming that he has come into flesh, lived a perfect life, gone willingly to the cross to die for us, raised from the dead to indicate that this sacrifice is acceptable and offers the new life to us that we desperately need. May we recognize that. May we live in that as we walk under genuine anointing. In Christ's name, amen. Alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength.